great honor to be here tonight and to specifically and especially be at this church. I um, love you all very much, and I feel that there is a kindred spirit between me and this church and especially the leadership and their families and give honor to Elder Patterson. Love you, appreciate you, and give you double honor, sir. Um, and give honor tonight to um, Pastor Harrelson and his wife and uh, love and appreciate them very, very much. And the other ministry that is here tonight, um, we greet you and looking forward to meeting you after service. And let's just dig into the Word of God. How's that? Amen. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles tonight to the book of Numbers, I would like to look at Numbers chapter 13. And if you will give me your attention, I'm going to turn a timer on right here. And I promise you, I'll watch the clock if you'll watch me. Fair enough? That's a deal? Okay. I'd, since I've been here, I have moved to Canada. And, right? I haven't preached here since I moved to Canada. And so, um, I, this is one place that I wish that my wife could come here and meet you all. And it certainly isn't Brother Harrelson's fault. He tried to bring the whole circus down here. He said, bring your wife and all your children. <laughs> I asked him, I said, do you know how many kids I have? <laughs> but it, uh, due to school, they were not able to make it. But one day, I promise, I'm going to bring my children, my wife here. Numbers chapter 13, verse number 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall you send a man, every one a ruler among men. And Moses, by commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran, all those men were the heads of the children of Israel. Why, why don't you slip over to chapter 14? It's just one page. And let's look at verse 26 and 27. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmurs against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. God bless you tonight. Could you ask the Lord to help us? Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, a heart to receive. Open my mind and my spirit, God, so that I can preach to myself and to them that will hear me. Give us hearts of faith. Give us hearts to receive your word in Jesus' name. Lord bless you. You may be seated tonight. I would like to preach for a little while on the idea of exposing the desperation that's in doubt. Doubt is a desperate thing. 
and it has no real bearing and real proof of what it does, but it will certainly mess with our minds, won't it? And the Bible lets us know that the sin that they had committed was the sin of murmuring. And if we're not careful, we can mistake that that is somehow the sin of mumbling or, you know, just grumbling. But it's not. It's more than that. It's, it's deeper than that, and it's certainly more penetrating than that. The idea of murmuring really consists of several attitudes and spirits that collectively become the sin of murmuring. And I think it starts with the spirit of complaining, and it becomes a covetous attitude and spirit. And then it becomes a critical spirit, a doubting spirit, and a rebellious spirit. And then it becomes a backslidden spirit. And those things that were in this, this congregation here, in this group of people in the wilderness, if you, if you look over in the New Testament... Paul is writing to his church in 1 Corinthians and he's letting them know in chapter 10 and verse number one, moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers passed under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses and in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed him, them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, all of these things, he says in verse number six, were for our examples. So all that we're going to study tonight and look at is so that we don't make the same mistakes. Now, I want you to know in the forefront of what I'm saying, I'm not coming tonight to pick on anybody. I'm not coming to necessarily aim and shoot and point and hunt. I'm, I'm after one guy tonight. That's this guy right here. And if anybody can hear me reach for me tonight, maybe it'll help you. And the other thing I want to say is that I've been preaching this in Calgary, Canada for the last several weeks because anywhere where there is humans, there is the human spirit. And the component is there for us to struggle with all the things that any other human would have struggled with. And so when you realize this, that it is a choice that all of us make. And God is not a respecter of persons, but he certainly is of attitudes. And I am the one that chooses my attitude. Life don't choose my attitude. My circumstances don't choose my attitude. I choose my attitude. And let me just tell you the revelation to that is if you chose it, you can unchoose it. But if you don't admit you chose it, you can't choose it and unchoose it. And if you don't say, I'm the one that chose that attitude, you'll never be able to say, I want a different attitude. But I'm admitting tonight at the outset of this message that I'm the one that chooses my attitude. And so when that attitude becomes toxic, and when that attitude becomes debilitating, 
And when that attitude becomes handicapping to me, then I can unchoose that attitude and say, God, I don't want to be like that. And so these people are a, just a wonderful case study into what actually happens when people don't deal with the attitudes that they have. So these few things, all of them are sins. Complaining is a sin. Having a critical spirit is a sin. Why? Because each one of these things questions God. It questions God's spirit. So like, for instance, questions when, when you're dealing with a complaining spirit, that questions God's sovereignty. Now, when you're dealing with a covetous attitude, that questions God's sufficiency. When you're dealing with a critical attitude, that questions God's selections or God's choices. Doubt questions God's words and his sayings. And doubt is a lack of confidence that God will keep his promise. So it hears what God says, but it doesn't believe that God is going to keep his promise. Now, if you go over with me in the Bible to the book of Deuteronomy real quick, let's look at it. Deuteronomy chapter number 1 and verse number 20 and 21, Moses reflects backwards in this chapter and in this verse. He's saying, do you remember when we came through Horeb, that great wilderness? Do you remember when we were at Kadesh Barnea? Verse 20, I said unto you, ye are come unto the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord our God doth give unto us. Behold, the Lord thy God hath set the land before you. Go up and possess it, as the Lord of thy fathers hath said unto thee, Fear not, neither be discouraged. Now, in verse number 26, there's a little bit more. He said, Notwithstanding, you would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. You murmured in your tents. And then he says down here, in verse number, when you look at this in verse 32, yet in this thing you did not believe the Lord your God. And so the danger of doubt is that it's not doubting leadership. It's not doubting Moses. It's not doubting anybody. It's doubting God. Because God has given you this land. God has given you this hour. God has given you this revival. God has given you this advance in the kingdom. Now, God regularly uses things that he gives us in weird ways. I admit, God does weird stuff. And it's my job to ask the Lord, how do I obey and submit to this even when I don't understand it? But faith will make you trust God even when you've got a better plan. And when you look at the book of Exodus, and, and let's look at that real quick, Exodus chapter 16 and verse number 4, the Lord said unto Moses, Exodus 16 and 4, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. 
Now, what we have here is the original plan was just go take it. But they got there and they, they doubted. And so now a little time goes by. And now let's go back to Numbers chapter 13. This is plan B. This is God saying, why don't you guys take a few spies, each one get somebody out of your tribe and let's send them out there and let's let them examine all this and let them explore the land. But that wasn't the original plan. The original plan was go up and take it. So what you're going to see unfold is God's judgment against doubt, but it isn't the first time God dealt with this. God never judges anybody for their first mistake. But when it becomes an attitude that we won't repent of, then God judges us. Now, what is an attitude? An attitude is not a mood. A mood is what you get into, like, well, I was in a mood today. Man, the minute it starts raining, I want a cup of coffee and a pile of books. I'm in a rainy day mood, right? I can be sitting there in Calgary and the snow start coming down. I, I want to curl up by a fireplace with a big old thick book like, you know, like a Russian novel, big one. And, and I'm in a mood. Now, a lot of people are, are blaming their bad attitudes on moods, but that's not true. A mood is what you get in because of outward circumstances. An attitude is coming from inside. A mood is because it's raining. An attitude is because you've got rebellion. A mood is because it's snowing and I want to read a novel or we want to sit by the fireplace. That's a mood. But if I'm just walking around being a grouch and being a negative person and having a doubtful attitude, that's not a mood I'm in. Don't blame that as a mood. Uh, say, I got a rotten attitude that I need to repent about. Because, because an attitude isn't a mood that comes from inside or outside. An attitude is patterns of thinking that develop over long periods of time. That's why change is hard, folks. If change was easy, everybody would be doing it, but they're not. Change is hard. That's why New Year's resolutions have a shelf life of about eight days. Because change is hard. It sounds good when I'm doing it, but then I wake up and realize, oh, man, this is because something's sideways inside here. God, I need you to get down here and change my spirit. And so what I'm going after is the spirits of doubt that get inside people's head and convince them that God can't or won't do it. And so you're going to, God's basically laying out to them that it is a test. You're either going to trust me or you're not. And if it's really a test, it's a choice that I'm making. And it's the problem is that I'm the one that turns my 40-day test into a 40-year life sentence. My God, friend, don't take what God laid out as a test and turn it into a life sentence. Don't get bitter when he tests you. Don't get angry when he tests you. Don't flail and fight it, but say, God, help me to spend this 40 days right so that I don't end up circling a wilderness. 
People that don't understand this are perpetually frustrated because they don't understand that doubt will turn every little test that God puts in front of you into a 40-year life sentence. Now, let's talk about some truths, some real truths about doubt, okay? Number one, if you have an attitude of doubt, the circumstances of life will evaporate what little bit of faith you have. If you have an attitude and I have a spirit of doubt in me, it doesn't matter what kind of test comes my way, it's gonna siphon off all of my faith. You, you know, the Bible says when it talks about some have, and if they don't use that right, they're going to lose what they have, and it's going to be given to other ones. I want God to use tests in my life to give me faith, not take faith away from me. Let me show you this. Let's look at Numbers chapter 13 and verse number 17. It says that Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. And said unto them, Get you up this way southward and go up into the mountain and see the land. Check out what it is. See if they're strong or weak, few or many. And what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad. And what cities they be that dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds. What the land is. Is it fat or lean? Is it woods or is it rocks? And be of good courage and bring back some of the fruit of the land. Verse 23, they came unto the brook Eskol and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes and they bear it between two upon a staff and they brought it back. They returned after 40 days of searching. However, they saw how good God was. And I'm going to tell you all something. All the addiction to signs and miracles and all that, that's never given anybody any faith. If signs and miracles gave you faith, this right here would be the most faithful generation that ever lived. The Bible doesn't say we follow signs. The Bible says signs follow us. Signs shall follow them that believe. Brother, when you have faith, you walk in and you're able to look at mountains and cities. But people who are chasing after signs, wanting a miracle, that's not going to give them faith. If that would have gave them faith, all the Pharisees would have been saved. If miracles give faith, then all these people in Israel would have been saved. But their attitude of doubt siphoned off everything. But when you believe the sayings of the Lord and when you believe in the promises of Scripture, my God, you begin to see what God's done and say, I believe that God's going to give me this land. But if doubt gets in my spirit, it doesn't matter what I see. It doesn't matter what God does. It doesn't matter what God shows me. I'm not going to believe it anyhow because doubt's going to evaporate it. Now, they looked at, what did they see? They saw big cities. They saw powerful people. They saw armies. They saw all kinds of things, evidence of the abundance. But they didn't see it through the eyes of faith. They didn't rely on the confidence that God will keep his word. They saw it and said, probably not. God probably, oh, look there. There's a reason right there we can't go forward. 
You know what a doubting, sinful spirit does? It sees the obstacle in everything, and it never wants to believe God. And I've got to pray myself through that. Because if I'm not careful, all I'll see is the challenge and never see the opportunity. And somebody said, well, I'm a realist. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Hold your, hold your thought on that. I'm going to tell you right now, doubt, don't blame that on realism. That's not realism. That's a doubting attitude. Now, we can dress it up and we can put a fancy outfit on it and call it practical. That's not practical. That's doubt. They were coming in saying, well, you know, I'm seeing this. And Moses critiques their unbelief in Deuteronomy. He said, you ignored God's patterns of behavior towards you. You never saw, he said, what. Now, when I'm preaching tonight, I'm not calling you all an evil congregation. I'm not chastising you. I'm talking about what Moses said to these people. And we're going to study about these people that God wasn't happy with so that God can be happy with us. Right? See, because a smart man will learn from his mistakes. A wise man will learn from someone else's mistakes. That's what we are here tonight. We're wise. We're going to learn from these people's mistakes. But a fool don't learn from anybody's mistakes. And I'm not a fool and you're not a fool, so we're going to learn why did these people get in the mess they're in. And so Moses said, look, has he ever let you down before? then there's no proof that he's going to do it. Therefore, doubt is more than just a bad day. Doubt is a sin. And a doubting attitude will cause me to lie on God. He's been good to me. I've been foolish before. And I'm a sinful man. But every time I've ever said, forgive me, he did it. So when that gets in my head that that person can't be forgiven or that's not going to get worked out, that's a lie that I don't have any proof for. Hallelujah. Doubt is a sin because it convinces me to lie on the only one that's ever been good to me. See, and here's a little, little revelation for you. You know, the devil is a liar, but not everything the devil says is a lie. Because I know the devil's there accusing the brethren. And I know Douglas. And I'm telling you right now, the devil's up there. But he's not lying on me. He's telling the truth. I'm telling you, he's upstairs right now telling the truth on me. And then he comes down. He's telling God what an outfit I am. What a, what a sinner I am. And what a, what a person I am that's not worth anything without him. And you know what? He's not wrong. But when he comes down here, he lies to me about God because God's been nothing but good. What's he ever done? He's never done me anything but good. So whatever these people are seeing in the promised land, whatever they're seeing while they're spying it out, it is shrinking their capacity to trust God. Now that's baffling to me. Because in view of the evidence of God's goodness, their faith was evaporating because a doubtful spirit got in them. Now, the second truth about doubt is doubt sees what's wrong. That's all it sees. 
And, and look at Numbers chapter 13 over here in verse 25 and verse 26. They returned from searching the land after 40 days. They went and came to Moses, the congregation. Can you imagine? They were probably so excited to see these guys come back in. Oh, man, is this the day? Oh, how did how'd it go? What's going to happen? Oh, well, we went where you told us to go. Yeah, it's got milk and honey. Yeah, there's some good things. Nevertheless, read verse 28, except. Nevertheless, you know what that means? That means bring your attention to where we don't believe in God. Nevertheless, the people are strong. They dwell in cities that are walled and very great. Well, what'd you think? God was gonna give you a pathetic land? Why would you, would you want a land where nobody had big cities and big walls? They saw the very evidence of God's favor and it, and it scared them so bad that they used that as excuses not to go in. We'll say, well, that mountain's tall. You think God's going to give you a molehill? That city's very big. You think God wanted you to have a little village? Well, they have walls around that city. What do you think? God was just going to give you a little Bedouin camp? He told you I'm going to give you cities. He told you I'm going to give you walled cities. I'm going to give you. He said there's Amalekites, Jebusites, Hittites, Perizzites in there. He said, but I'm going to give it all to you. They went in and saw the evidence of what God was talking about and said, oh, we can't go. Why would they do that? Because doubt only sees the problems. Except for that. The bottom line is that they listed the armies with reputations. And the problem wasn't the giants. The problem wasn't the armies. It wasn't the cities. It wasn't the weapons. It was their attitudes. It was the problem that said, I don't believe that God is going to keep his sayings. I can't trust God. Now, the next truth about doubt is let's look at chapter 14. And, and I, I'll have to come back to where in just verse 30 in chapter 13. But chapter 14 in verse 1, and all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. Can you imagine that? This should have been the biggest celebration Israel ever had. This should have been the moment that Israel just just blew up and exploded and said, here's our moment we've been waiting on. Here's everything we've ever wanted. But doubt will ruin every moment you have in your walk with God. Doubt will ruin the high points of your marriage. Doubt will ruin the high points of your ministry. Doubt will, doubt will come in and it'll turn moments that are critical for you to worship and shout and rejoice and you'll turn them into a wailing party. You know why? Because that's the sin of doubt. Doubt says we ought to be crying when we ought to be shouting. Doubt says we ought to be stopping when we ought to be stepping. Doubt says we ought to, we, we ought to question God when we ought to say amen. Doubt says you can't when God says I will. And what they did right here is this got in their spirits and they quit believing in God because doubt isn't an, a problem. Doubt's a sin. Doubt's not a bad day. Doubt is sin. 
Now, they should have been rejoicing, but instead they wept. Who wept? Verse 2 says, all the congregation wept. All the princes of Israel wept. All of them, all the sons, they were unified around their doubt. Chapter 14, verse 2, against they murmured, but the whole congregation said unto them, would to God that we had died in the land of Egypt or would to God we had died in the wilderness. Can you imagine having a spirit so sinful that I'd rather die than have God bless me? Brother, I don't want doubt in my soul. I don't want doubt in my spirit because doubt starts asking me to go somewhere I don't want to go. I don't want to die in a wilderness. I don't want my children to die in a wilderness. And the spirit was when they were surrounded by doubters, it's easier to doubt. When you're surrounded by these people who are already crying, who are already desperately weeping, boy, it's easy to see what's wrong instead of what's right. Now, you have to ask yourself, and I have to examine myself. God, is it hard for me to trust you? God has proved for me. He's done so many good things in my life that I've found the reason is this, because instead of talking about God's grace, God's mercy, God's miracles, they talk about the obstacle. They talk about the problem. They only saw what God had to do and they ignored what God had already done. Okay, now, here, here's, why is it so easy to doubt? You gotta think about that, right? Because I don't have to get up in the morning and I don't ever stand in the mirror and shave and say, whoo, it's gonna be an awesome day to just question God about everything, Right? We don't ever do that, do we? Doubt's what happens when you don't do anything. It creeps in on you. Doubt comes sneaking in on me and says, probably not. And the next thing I know is I'm in a war in my own spirit. Because doubting is passive. That's one of the reasons why it's so easy to doubt. Faith requires action. You don't say, boy, I'm just going to doubt God about everything today. Nope, that's not how it works. Doubt is passive, and when we do nothing, doubt comes in, and doubt says, God's probably not going to do this. Now, doubting, it also satisfies our tendencies towards self-protection. I do want to protect myself, right? Jesus said, no man loves anything more than he loves his own flesh, right? And so, boy, when you're standing there, and you're getting to that moment where you're getting ready to step out on faith. And them doubters are saying, boy, if this crashes and burns, you're going to look like an idiot. And then my head starts thinking about it. Oh, man, if this don't go, <laughs> I'm going to have egg on my face. Boy, I could look really dumb if this don't work out. Any, anybody that's ever been in a building project understands what I'm preaching. Anybody that's ever tried to put a youth meeting together understands what I'm preaching. Anybody that's ever tried to do an outreach event understands what I'm going to say. The devil gets in our heads and says, boy, you know, you're going you're gonna to really step out there. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to look stupid. Well, I don't want to look stupid. I made that up a long time ago. 
So you stand back and you're like, eh, maybe doing nothing is a good thing because at least I won't look stupid. But the reality is, is that when you do that, you begin to settle for less than who you are. And somebody said, well, you know, you guys get up there and you start casting vision and you start pushing a church and you start trying to lead them into deeper things. Boy, you're going to be disappointed. And they got a good point. The only problem is I have opted into doing nothing before and I'm still disappointed. So either way, I could be disappointed. Because when I don't do what God called me to do, I sit there and think, is this really all the anointing? you? Is this really what you're called and liberated to do? So you know what? You might as well step out and you might as well aim for the mountain that God gave you. Because don't let doubt creep in and say, lower your expectations. I'm telling you, Pentecostals of Dothan, do not lower your expectations. Don't do it. Don't lower your expectations in prayer. Don't lower your expectation in worship. Don't lower your expectation in ministry. Because if you do, you're going to be miserably disappointed. Because nobody ever sits there and says, whoo, I'm so proud of myself for doing nothing. No. You get up in the morning and you're doing your hair, shaving your face in the morning, you're sitting there saying, what would you bow out for when you're called to do things for God? I I, want to be honest. Doubting people are easier to find than friends of faith. That's why it's so easy to doubt. Because you put your flag in the ground and say, oh, I don't know, we could get egg on our face. You'll have a congregation like that. You can gather people around you because you're playing to their baser instincts. You can gather up a group around you to gossip and doubt because you're pulling in and you're playing on their fears. And doubting is so contagious. It goes from two spies in chapter 13, verse number 30, to all of a sudden in chapter 14 and 2, the whole congregation's crying. My God, that's, that's a contagion right there. You talk about a pandemic, there's your pandemic. Zero to 60 in like two seconds right there. I mean, we went from have, should, should be having a great celebration of look what the Lord has done. And because two people got a spirit of doubt on them, a whole nation is crying. Now, let, let, let's unpack this a little bit. Here, here is the desperation of it. Doubt never, ever, 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 ever stands still. Doubt is going somewhere. So you can't choose to doubt and say, I'm going to sit here and doubt. You can't sit here and doubt. You know why? Because doubt is going somewhere. And doubt is saying, hey, you, you want to be with me? And, And you look like it's passive and doing nothing. But about the time you go sit down with it, it says, hey, Zeke, you want to go back to the wilderness? Huh? What do you mean go back to the, come on, let's go back to Egypt. Wait a minute, I sat down because I thought this was a picnic to nothingness. 
What do you mean go back to Egypt? Weren't we slaves back there? Yeah, but let's not stay here. You get aggravated at preachers who are trying to get you to go somewhere. Well, guess what? Devils will get you to go somewhere too. Don't get aggravated at a man of God that comes by the word of God saying, come on, let's go somewhere. So I said, whoa, man, you follow that guy. You, you get out there and he, he's going to push you and all that faith that God wants to move. You step out and run the aisles. What if nothing happens? What do I lose? Because all I'm doing here is going backwards unless I get out and buy into the vision and say, God, you called me to do something. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Because doubt says, let's go somewhere. Let's look at it. Let, let, let's look at chapter 14 again. Let's, let's start in verse 2. Would to God we died in the land of Egypt? Would to God we died in this wilderness? You know the people that started crying with them was like, hey, easy, man, calm down. Who said anything about like a suicide mission here? I don't want to die. I'm... But doubt would rather die than live in trust. Why has the Lord brought us here in verse 3? All to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey. Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? You hear that? Doubt says, let's go somewhere. Verse number four, they said one to another, let us make a captain and let's go back to Egypt. That is horrifying to me. I told God in the prayer room the other day, I said, Lord, don't let me play games with doubt. Because that spirit's heading back somewhere. And that's not where I want to be. I want the miracles of God. But I'm only going to get that by trusting in his sayings. Trusting in his word. And, and doubt comes along and says, you guys, you, you don't buy into Moses. He's, he's bringing you out here because he's going to lead you here. And he's going he's gonna to kill you in the wilderness. And there isn't a bit of truth to that. Now, doubt is doubtful, obviously. I know I'm not supposed to say this, but Malia isn't in the room, so I might get by with it. Doubt is dumb. It's just plain dumb. Now, I know that's not Greek, but doubt's dumb. You know why? Because it's dumb to say I would rather die than trust God. That's ignorance. Doubt is dumb because it says I'd rather be a slave in Egypt than be out here with God. What? Wait a minute, stop, 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 stop. And you know, I know, I know what all these people say. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not for all that faith stuff because I'm a realist. Well, then you're faithful because realists are faithful. They got all the proof on their side. It's the doubters that is just ignorance. I don't have, I don't have time to undo all this. But they said, let's go back to Egypt. What are you talking about? And, and you get in chapter 14, and Joshua and Caleb, they steal the people. Shh, calm down, guys. What are you thinking? You're going to uh, get a captain. They're ready to fire Moses. So they won't follow a man God anoints to lead them to be who God called them to be, but they'll follow somebody they can control to hell. But I'm going to tell you right now, 
you better not touch the Lord's anointed because God's got men that will lead and guide you because he wants to give you the best he has. And these guys come along and say, we'll get us another captain and we'll follow him back to slavery before we trust God and follow you to liberty. That is the dumbest thing, sorry, that I've ever heard. It's just, it's, it's crazy. Now, I know I sound like I'm an uncouth barbarian, but it's dumb. It's not practical. It's not realistic. It's absolutely asinine. It's bizarre. There's a fancier word for dumb. <laughs> and, and, and what it does is say, come on, follow us. Where are we going? Well, we're, we're not going to follow Moses. We're stopping right here. And people say, well, okay, we've followed this guy far enough. We, we've done this long enough. We've got to have a balance here. And all of a sudden, about the time doubt gets this little group together, doubt says, hey, we got a captain right here. He can take you right back to Egypt where you come from. Now, let's talk about the desperation of that simple statement. So when they do this, they say, he's brought us here to kill us. He's brought us here to kill our children. He's brought us here to destroy us in the wilderness. Number one, it was a lie. It was completely contrary to the experience they had had with God. I'm going to tell you all something tonight. If God wanted me to go to hell, he could have left me where he found me. He doesn't bring you here to tell you you're going to hell. I was doing a masterful job of going to hell when he walked by and said, come live for me. So why would he bring us here to stop helping us? Come on, somebody's got to believe what I'm preaching tonight. Somebody's got to get doubt the sin of it and say, this is ignorance for us to doubt what God's doing in our church. He didn't have to bring me here. If he wanted, you know, think about this. I have no proof that God wants me to be lost. Not a single shred of evidence. I don't have any proof that he won't forgive me. You know why? Every time I begged him for forgiveness, I've gotten it. I don't have any proof that he won't touch me and help me and, and help me through my struggles. You know why? Because every time I prayed for him, he helped me. I don't have one smidgen, one little shred of evidence that he will abandon me in my trial because I've been through so much. I've been through the valleys. I've crossed rivers with him. I've been in stormy nights. I've been in rocky places. And there's never been a place where he ever bailed on me. And listen to me, I've given him every reason to bail. So when I get this far, and it starts conjuring up in my head that God probably isn't going to help me through this next thing. It is a lie. Now, they had forgotten pillar of cloud by day. They forgot pillar of fire by night. They forgot manna falling out of the sky. They forgot the Red Sea crossing. 
See, doubt doesn't remember any of the proof, but it'll grab at something that doesn't exist and call it practical. Doubt will snatch something out of the air that's not even there and say, here, we're the rational, logical ones. Doubt isn't logical. I'll tell you what's logical is that all the things that God did yesterday, he's probably gonna do them today and tomorrow. That's logic. Rational? No, doubt isn't rational. It's irrational. You know why? Because the rational mind says, wait a minute. Look where we're at, and could we have gotten here without him? No, they couldn't have. They would have died. Come on, guys. A rock's falling. The water's falling through the wilderness wherever they're going. And they get here, and they say, oh, no, God isn't for us. If he wanted you dead, he could have just quit pouring water out of rocks. My God, help me tonight. If he wanted me dead, he could have, he could have just not met me at the altar. If he wanted me dead, destroyed he could have just not met me in the prayer room but he keeps on meeting me he keeps on touching me he keeps on healing me he keeps on forgiving me and doubt tells me why don't you grab at something you have no evidence and blame God they were singing that song tonight and then Lauren read that scripture Faith is what? Hebrews 11 and 1. Faith is, <laughs> don't tell me faith is irrational and illogical. And No, faith is substance. Don't tell me that, that, oh, you know, the reason I'm questioning all of this journey stuff and where we're headed and the direction we're going and, you know, uh, Pastor Harrelson pushing us into a move of God. And I don't know where this is going to go. You know what? You have no evidence that it's not going to be the blessing of God. Why? Because look at the power of God that's held us to here. I'm going to tell you something else why doubt is not a bad mood. And doubt is sin because it's presumptuous. First of all, it's a lie. Second of all, it's extremely presumptuous. Okay, let's look at it. Chapter 14, and, and, and let's see it. Verse number four, they said one to another, let's make a captain and let's go back to Egypt. All right. Let's suppose, let's play a game here for a second. Let's suppose they did go back to Egypt. Let's suppose they did turn around. I wonder, just, just positing this to you, the God that gave them manna to get there, do you think he would start giving them manna to get back to Egypt? But presumptuous, they thought, we'll go back when we're ready to go back. I'm going to tell you something. You're in this too deep to go back. So if you're looking for a place to turn around, it's not in this church. Because what brought you here is not going to follow you back into the world he brought you out of. You're not going back to dead. You're not going back to slaves. He brought you there. Oh, 
Oh, so you're here and there's a cloud of fire because you don't know where you're at. You couldn't find your way back unless he guided you. But do you think that when you get ready and say, yeah, I've, oh, I've crossed the line here. You know, I've gone too far. I'm going to mosey back. Where are you going to go, hotshot? Where's the trail? You don't know how to get back. Because you think he is going to let that pillar of fire lead you back to hell? Mm -mm. It's presumptuous sins. Do you think that cloud that's covered your marriage, do you think it's going to now underwrite your trip back to slavery? How many times has the grace of God stitched our minds together when we felt like we were losing our minds? You know how many times he's held me together? And doubt says, when you're ready to go back, you can go back. How far do you think I'd make it? This is why Paul said to this church, watch these people. Study these people. Preach about these people. Pray through these people. Because with them, God was not well pleased. Because they got into some stuff that was some weird, demonic activity that said, I'll go back when I'm ready. No, you can't. I could go back. I could. I could make a run for it. But you think he'd hold my mind together? Do you think I'd walk in and my marriage would be just as good as it was while I was out? Do you think... See, that's the problem. I've watched preachers and men of God get up here and start under the limelights, and they just think, wow, this is me. I can start playing around on stuff. I can start watching stuff. I can start talking to people. I can break the code of conduct and ethics. Uh, boy, I'll just, you know, I'm too big to fail. And you watch their ministries disintegrate. You watch their marriages implode. You know why? Because the cloud that got me here isn't going to follow me into backsliding. That fire anointing that whirls in our prayer rooms uh, and the glory of God that fills. You think it's going to follow us back to Egypt? Uh, that's not a legitimate plan. And so they couldn't get back. Do you think... How presumptuous do you think it was that that rock would turn around and say, yeah, sure, you're going that way. I'll follow you. No, that rock of provision that's keeping you alive, that's following you. It followed them because they were following him. Oh, let's just take it one step further here. You're going back. It is woefully naive to think I could go back. Do you think, what if by some chance they did get back to Egypt? Do you think that they cost Egypt their Pharaoh in the Red Sea? Do you think that they cost an entire army and Pharaoh himself in their exodus? Now, were they really thinking that they were just gonna walk back in and say, whoops, sorry, boys, we shouldn't have went that way? You think the world is just gonna Let's just act like you never went down to that Pentecostal church. It was desperate. 
It came from a crazy desperation caused by doubt. And desperate plans come from despairing minds uh, that are born out of doubting souls. Do you think for a minute that I could ever make it back to what God brought me out of and the demons uh, that tried to destroy my life? Do you think they just say, oh, welcome home? Oh, you think that, that thing that you escaped from when God saved you, you think when you go back to the world and say, I'm back in Egypt, just, let's just act like nothing happened. I'm telling you, you'll never fit in at that bar again. You'll never fit in at that pool hall again. You'll never fit into that trash. You know why? Because you're somebody And when they escape and when they get out, they were so ignorant, they were so doubtful, they were so desperate that the short trip from doubt to despair was evident. Here's what you got to get in your spirit tonight is you can't turn back. You're in too deep here. There's no way out for me, brother. And Jesus got to this point with his disciples one time, and he said, they're leaving. Are you going to go? And they said, where could I possibly go when you've held me together? And Joshua and Caleb, I'll show you how desperate Doubt is. It conceives this ill-fated plan that is, number one, a lie. Number two, it's presumptuous. Number three, it's naive. Number four, it's desperate. And when Joshua and Caleb stood up and said, guys, don't talk like this. Don't do this. Do you know what chapter 14 and verse number, uh, verse in chapter 14 and verse number uh, 9 and 10? And all the congregation bade Let's stone these guys with stones. When Joshua and Caleb rose up and tried to talk them out of it, they were so desperate. They were so defensive. All the congregation said, let's kill the voice of reason. Faith isn't irrational. Faith is the substance of things hopeful the evidence of things not yet seen. I'm telling you right now, you are in too far to turn around. And what you've been, I'm done tonight. Musicians can come. What you've been pressing for in this church what you have been praying for, what you have been fasting for, what you have been pining for, I'm telling you, you can't turn back from it now. You're in too deep. Because once you commit to the glory of God and the things of God, doubt is a sin that says, come back, rethink it. Let's go back to Egypt and act like we didn't step out like that. But I'm asking someone tonight, let's learn from what we just saw in this book. And let's ask God, God, give me faith to take a step right now. Stand with me tonight. I'm asking for you to step from where you're at right now in faith and make a commitment that, God, I'm not staying where I'm at. I'm following you. I'm not, I'm not buying into some scheme and some drama that says you won't. I have no evidence that you won't. So I want it. I want revival. I want 
deep moves of God. I want the miracles of God. I want the covering glory of God. But I don't want it because I threaten God and because I have a, a, a showdown with God. I want it because I have no reason to doubt him. I have no evidence for why I can't trust him. Come on, hear me tonight, church. What do you need tonight? How long has it been since you just asked him? How long has it been since you just bluntly said, I need this from you? And watch what he does right now. Let's lift our hands and ask the Lord, Lord, don't let us turn from this moment. Don't let us back up. Don't let us doubt you, God. Don't let us fearfully talk ourselves out of what you're doing. But let us lean in to the glory of God. Let us lean in to the Spirit of the Lord. Come on, I open these altars tonight. If somebody needs a miracle, if somebody needs a powerful touch of the Holy Ghost that convinces you God is on your side, let's pray doubt out of our spirit. Let's repent of it. Let's tell the Lord, I'm sorry for doubting you. I have no reason to doubt. Let's turn this into a prayer room tonight as they sing. Jesus, I see the evidence.